0: Hi friends, I'm Lindsay Mantone. I am the resident dramaturg for Linfield Theater. This year, academic year twenty-one twenty-two, dramaturgy will be in the form of podcast episodes. We're very excited about this. And today I am here with Beatrice DeGraw. Hi. Hello,
1: I'm Beatrice DeGraw, and I am acting as sort of assistant dramaturg and podcast editor. So glad to be doing this with you. Yeah, I'm really excited. I think it's a super cool format and I think it
0: just kind of makes all of this more accessible. Yeah, accessible in many ways, I think. Um, Okay, so today we are doing a podcast episode on the theater program's first show. It's called Ground Zero 2021. It will take place outside because pandemic uh, and because art and performance art. It will take place outside in the Arts Quad, um, in and around Fort Hall on September 18th from one to five. Audiences can come and go. It's a durational piece for the actors. You are welcome to stay the whole time. You are welcome to move through it at your own speed. And today we are interviewing some of the creators of the performance. Yeah, we will be talking
1: with um, Justine Nicasse who is the director and kind of creator, head creator, I'll say, of Ground Zero 2021, as well as David Gray, Rachel Goines, to talk about the creative process, what it looks like making art during a pandemic, what it looks like making art about a tragedy that took place 20 years ago that a lot of students
2: might not have firsthand experience with. Hi, Justine. Hello. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. And thank you so much for having me for this podcast.
0: Thank you for giving us more of your time to talk about Ground Zero 2021. Okay, I my first question for you, Justine, who who are you? Can you can you give us a little bit of your history and how you came to be directing at Linfield? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, my name is Justine Nakase, and I am a theatre
2: scholar and maker. Um, I got my PhD at the National University of Ireland in Galway, where I focused on race and identity in contemporary Irish performance. Um, and I moved to Portland about two years ago, uh, just before the pandemic. Uh, so I had more pandemic time in Portland than uh, non-pandemic time, but I really loved it. Um, and it really feels like home for me. Uh, so since I've moved to Portland, I have been an adjunct instructor at uh, Portland State University I had the pleasure of teaching a course or two at Linfield last year remotely, and um, I also directed a show at Reed um, last semester, which was online and on Zoom. So uh, yeah, in addition to the kind of scholarly work that I am doing, uh, which I suppose I should mention includes a recent co-edited publication of a two-volume collection called The Golden Thread, uh, Irish Women Playwrights t- uh, 1716 to 2016, um, which we're really, really exciting excited and proud about, those are my co-authors, our co-editors are David Clare and Fiona McDonough. Um, uh, so besides all the teaching and researching, um, I'm also a theater maker. So I am working currently with Corb Theater, which is an Irish theater company based here in Portland. I am the community outreach coordinator, and I'm also going to be directing uh, the first show of their 10th season in February.
0: That is so much, you're, you're very busy it feels like I'm busy. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So ground zero 2021. What, what, what is it? What is this piece?
2: So this piece is maybe a little different than the kind of theater people are used to experiencing. It's not a traditional uh, scripted play presented in a proscenium arch theater. Rather, what it is, it's drawing on lineages of performance art and the idea of installations and living installations to reflect on the ideas of, of 9-11 as not only like a discrete cultural event, but then also its longer histories um, reaching to today. So kind of looking back on, you know, this is 20 years ago. Um, Many of the students I'm working with weren't even alive for this, but much of the kind of current political, social and cultural, um, I suppose, understandings that we have in this moment are directly impacted by that, that one event. And so kind of parsing that apart and looking at that more closely. So Ground Zero 2021 is made up of four installations. Uh, People will be entering through, uh, aptly entering through, I suppose, kind of our TSA installation. So looking at this idea of borders, of security, and the efficacy of these systems that we have put in place to supposedly protect ourselves from and then there's a big question mark, right? So, like, who are borders dividing? Uh, who are they including or excluding? And how are we regulating those borders? Um, and why? What are the reasons underlying that? Um, that one is a more lighthearted piece uh, to get people started, um, but you know we are invited to reflect on uh, those kind of deeper issues there. So um, there is an installation around TSA um, and borders that people will pass through, very much like being through airport security, uh, and then. Through the arts quad, the other three installations are um, set up. So at the center of the arts quad, there is going to be an installation around this idea of state secrets with these three large monoliths that are going to be interacted with by two performers um, over the course of the four hours. So I should mention that it is also a durational piece. It is uh, lasting from one o'clock to five o'clock and we do have opening and closing moments, but people are free to come and visit and engage with the work um, at any point. And in fact, I think it'll be really interesting for people to come earlier on in the performance and then return later and see how things have shifted over time. Um, Because what we're really playing with is this idea of accumulation and excavation. Um, So that central pillar area um, is really, yeah, reflecting on the idea of like, what has been the cost of these wars that we have um, set out on not only the human cost, but also the economic cost, uh, the environmental costs, right? All these kind of ramifications and um, acknowledging those and, and bringing those to the light and reckoning with, was it worth it? right? Um, Which there was really interesting piece today in the New York Times about this kind of like lost opportunity um, of 9-11. And I think we're kind of really examining that and and interrogating that. Then on the library steps, um, I believe, uh, we will have a another installation that is around this idea of terror. Um, So looking at our starting point is um, kind of the idea of enhanced interrogation techniques, right, which was a big controversy that came out of how our Um, you know, military forces and kind of like, you know, secret service forces were dealing with uh, suspected uh, individuals, um, you know, who are suspected of terrorism uh, and very much in violation with uh, not only international conventions, such as the Geneva Convention about the rights, um, you know, to a fair child, the rights to like not being tortured, um, but our own U.S. laws, right, how we're contravening those. And so that installation takes a look at this idea of how fear-based reactions to the things that scare us are often ineffective, um, and stepping back and examining, you know, why is it that we're constantly kind of in conflict over these larger issues um, that should be bringing us together, right? So we think about that moment, right, post 9-11, where there was this really strong sense of solidarity. And rather than moving forward with that momentum, it became an us versus them. And I feel like in so many of the larger, um, not only national, but global, right, challenge that we're facing recently, such as climate change, such as the current pandemic, rather than having a cohesive, Um, you know, strategy, working together and moving forward, it has become very conflict-ridden. And, you know, we see that in the big debates about vaccine mandates or mask mandates. We see that in the big debates about climate change being real or not. And so rather than having us coming together to solve these problems that are affecting all of us, right? And really, I mean, I feel like we really feel it the most now um, in our individual lives are impacting us, um, all of us, um, rather than kind of coming together and solving those in a productive way, Way we fall back on the fear and the reactions of fear. So it's looking at those cycles of of kind of fear and reaction. And then finally, there is an installation that is um, by the Arts Building in one of the windows that is um, tackling the idea of surveillance and the kind of lack of privacy, um, the rights that we have given up um, in the immediate aftermath of the 9 11 attacks for the sake of security. Um, But again, what what are we sacrificing? What have we relinquished? Um, and for what, right, to what effect? How effective has these, the ability of the United States government to kind of sweep, um, make these broad data sweeps of people who are not under any kind of suspicion that are maybe, um, you know, two people removed from somebody who might be slightly under suspicion, right? What does this blanket um, kind of carte blanche ability to do that um, really generated? and? the statistics show that it hasn't done much, right? I think there's been like one terror conviction that's come out of all of these kinds of um, you know, uses of that power and that would have happened without that use of power anyway. So why why do we continue to allow um, these legislative you know, choices to be made? Because it's not just that it happened in the moment of 9-11, but that it is constantly, even today, um, you know, things like the Patriot Act and, and various um, you know, laws are being renewed. So why are we allowing that renewal to happen, right? In the face of all of the kind of data and and um, yeah, the outcomes.
0: It's really great. Thank you. Hey Rachel, how's it going? You good?
3: Yeah,
1: <laughs> I'm doing pretty
3: all right. Thank you. How are you?
1: I'm doing all right too.
3: Um, so let's
1: go ahead and get started. Would you be able to tell us a little bit about what your specific installation is?
3: Yeah, so I am working with Justine on the terror installation, and I'm also the person who, um, is, I'm not sure if "created" is the correct word, but... I started the uh, QR codes for dramaturgy um, bit for the um, production. Um, A lot of my research from the summer was to search up like black sites and black projects and um, enhanced interrogation techniques. Um, I chose the fun one. Um, And that helped to create... Uh, what is currently being formed for the uh, Terra installation.
1: Would you be able to speak a little bit more on what you mean when you say Black sites or Black projects?
3: Yeah, so... General government, I think every country's government has certain projects and um, locations and just... Things that they are doing that they can't release to the public. And um, it's speculated that they are doing certain things, um, but until a certain time, they are unable to really speak about it to the public. Um, certain examples of this is the Manhattan Project. Um, it, there's definitely a reason why they can't really tell everyone if like the public knows that oh we're creating nuclear warfare that that causes a lot of panic however flip side it's kind of suspicious when your government doesn't tell you that they're doing stuff behind your back um and then when you you ask them hey are you doing this they kind of gaslight you and be like we're not doing this and then 20 years later after uh, I don't know. Something goes wrong, or they don't decide to use it, or they do use it. They they express, "Oh yeah, you were kind of right. We just didn't want to tell you." If you look on the Wikipedia page for Black Sites and Black Projects, the section, the first section is United States and all of their at least released um, black projects, and it's longer than uh, like the two or three other countries that are listed. And then some of the pages also have a section for what's speculated and possibly current Black projects and Black sites.
1: So to pivot a little bit, what do you think the impact of this piece will be? Either your specific installation you worked on or, and or Ground Zero 2021 as a whole
3: performance. I'm not entirely sure, but my personal hope, I hope it unsettles people. I hope it's not too much a point where they get like severe anxiety, but I hope it scares a few people or um, creates a little bit of more insightful conversations and looking into themselves because a lot of this stuff has been normalized, I I hope some of those people at least come to this and then maybe start having some light bulbs pop up where they get a little bit more concerned. And realize that being numb and um, normalizing all, all the consequences of what happened from 9-11 and even pre-911, aren't okay.
1: Yeah, thank you for saying that. I think that is a really insightful way of thinking about what the impact of a piece like Ground Zero 2021 can be. So thank you. And what does Ground Zero 2021 mean to you specifically what did it mean to work on this piece and kind of going through the whole creative process to this point where it's being performed what does that mean to you and what does the impact of this show have on you specifically
3: my hopes and dreams and desires and connection to this production has evolved greatly because I only originally came in to have a topic to realize this idea that I have or had. And through all the research from the summer and collaborating with my assistant directors and with Justine, um, it grew more to like learning more about what happened when I didn't have memories of, 9-11 9-11 and po- a lot of post 9-11 stuff a lot of my memories start around like 2005 to 2006 um, from my childhood and I got to research and look into all the stuff that were ch- that was changing that like my parents probably still remember that my brother might remember and kind of realized how scary that was or how frustrating that might have been, because I grew up with it, just thinking that's the way it was. And um, after like traveling a little bit this summer and going through TSA so many times, after researching, it it really made me start thinking about what other aspects of the United States was altered from this event more than what i just learned in history class and then also how how that changed on a global scale looking back at my memories of traveling internationally or interacting with other people from other countries kind of had a not exactly out of body experience but took a good step back and took it all in it's crazy
1: it's really wild to think about how much change there's been in such a relatively short amount of time compared to, you know, kind of the history of anything else.
3: I'm really glad that Linfield's doing a performance art piece. It's long overdue. Just because it's about 9-11, don't dread it or feel intimidated or roll your eyes.
1: Thank you so much. That was great. And thank you for
0: being here today. Thank you for having me. This is Lindsay again. I'm here now with David Gray. Hi, David. Hello. Hello. David, will you tell our listeners who you are?
4: Uh, I am David Gray, and I am one of the assistant directors on Ground Zero, and I helped devise the Borders installation, and I'm also the stage manager for the show you're busy i am (laughs) that's awesome
0: so tell us a bit about your installation
4: so the borders installation really has to do with um, the way that borders around the united states have changed since 9-11 most specifically tsa and how that was kind of created because before 9-11 happened airport security was done through private contractors. And then after 9-11, they had to implement some sort of government agency to do that. So that's pretty much what the border's installation revolves around is TSA and what it is today because of what happened on 9-11.
0: So you worked during the summer. Can you tell us about that a bit?
4: Yeah, so I would say maybe like every two to three weeks, we would all get together on Zoom and just talk about what we wanted to do for the show. And we kind of did some background research on our own and we kind of researched different aspects of 9-11 that Justine had given us. And then at the end of all that, we finally decided and assigned who was going to come up with each installation.
0: What was the most challenging part of working on this piece for you?
4: The most challenging part was finding something that had to do with 9-11 that I was interested in because I personally have not been affected by 9-11. I don't know anyone who has been. I am very fortunate that way, but um, it was hard for me to figure out what I wanted to do and what I am passionate about and how I could connect that with the piece.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting, right? There's all the ways that we've been affected by 9-11. And the most obvious, of course, is if someone you know died in the towers or or died that day, uh, or was injured that day, or was a first responder that day. Uh, And then there's all the things that came after, right? And TSA is a great example of the ways in which if you travel, you are affected by 9-11, right? And it's interesting, the sort of accumulation of the rules of TSA that came in the years, mostly the first five years that followed 9-11, the things that you, um, the restrictions and the guidelines, right? Uh, You didn't have to take off your shoes right away, but then there was the shoe bomber uh, who tried to board a plane, and then now we all have to take off our shoes. And then there was the you know, another potential threat that led to all of your liquids have to be in a bag and um, laptops. And, you know, it, it, it sort of, a, it grew and it grew and it grew. Um, what's interesting to me about the TSA situation is that it's a one-way evolution. Like, how could it ever contract? How could the restrictions or the rules ever ease, right? Because there's a sort of public understanding or or, or viewpoint that like if you ease up then you're risk then you're taking on risk right
4: yeah I never thought of it that way but that makes sense
0: yeah these are the things I think about when I'm taking off my shoes and my belt and my watch (laughs) trying to figure out where I put the cell phone and all the pockets you know all the things
4: yeah I just go through full panic mode whenever I go through TSA I'm always afraid they're going to take the strangest, like the thing that I need most, even though it's probably not a prohibited item, but I'm just always afraid they're going to take it anyway. So.
0: Yeah. Well, it's, it's a mildly traumatic experience, right? You're exposed in all these different ways. People are looking at all your, you, you know, they're looking at you when you go through the things and they're looking at all your stuff and they're uh, potentially touching you, right? You get the pat downs and, yeah, it's, it's very nerve-wracking and it's the state, right? It's the force and the power of the state coming down on you anytime you just want to get from here to there. What do you think what do you think audiences are going to take away from Ground Zero 2021?
4: I don't want to say that I think audiences will be scared, but I think it's definitely going to be a little unsettling because like I said earlier, I haven't really felt like the effects of 9-11, even though I actually have. And so I think audiences will take away that 9-11's impact is still impacting us today. And I feel like that's gonna be a little unsettling for some people.
0: Yeah, yeah, all of these structures in our lives that have been really naturalized, uh, the surveillance cameras that are everywhere, we're on camera uh, on average 11 times a day. Um, And we take that for granted now, but that wasn't the case before 9-11. So, yeah, just like an increased awareness of the ways in which that one event had this trickle-down effect. Um, cool. That's really cool. Is this your first time doing live theater since the pandemic?
4: Yes, it is.
0: How, how is that for you?
4: It's a little confusing it's hard for me to wrap my head around the fact that we will have an audience because all we've ever done since the pandemic was either podcast or we made a movie that obviously didn't have a live audience so I think I still haven't it still hasn't clicked in my head that there will be people walking through and seeing this and we're not just recording it and showing it at a later date
0: yeah yeah it's exciting it's nerve-wracking it's all the feels It'll be the first live theater I will have seen.
4: That's why I'm kind of excited that I'm not, well, not excited, excited is the wrong word, but that's why I'm pleasantly happy that I'm not acting in it because I feel like I would be in overload right now, stressed out thinking, oh my gosh, I have to actually act in front of people. We can't just edit this and make it look good. So
0: back to the live
4: performer. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) that's great.
0: Well, I'm excited to see your installation and all the installations. Thank you, David. Thank you. And now I'm back with Justine to wrap up our podcast episode. Okay, so quick recap on just the logistics of the piece. One to five in the arts quad. You start right by Ford Hall, right? Where Where the theater building is, the theater building. And um, people can come, they can move through it at their own speed. They can arrive anytime in that window and leave anytime in that window. Uh, although the actors cannot because it's durational for them. So this is a four hour performance for the actors, uh, which is really exciting and will flex different muscles, physical and creative. Um, okay, great, good, 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 good. Okay, so those are those are the logistics of the piece. I wanna ask you Okay, I did that thing where I turned on my car the other day and the radio was set to NPR. It was just the tail end of some guy's monologue. And he was saying, and like very strident and I thought kind of flippant tones that 9-11 happened but actually we forgot about it immediately. And as a culture, we made it a big secret and it's like this black hole in our memory and we never talked about it, and we never engaged with it. And I am a 9-11 scholar. And I was just so angry listening to this, because I feel like, like popular culture engaged with 9-11 in big ways, but in very uncritical ways, right? I'm thinking right now of the, the TV series 24, which was basically all about torture and the ticking time bomb scenario, but it was full of fallacies. But it got the country in a big way behind this idea of there's a terrorist, you should torture them so that you can potentially save lives. Um, Anyway, that's just one example, but you know, between that and Zero Dark Thirty and The Hurt Locker, and I feel like we've had so many movies and TV shows, I feel like we've engaged with 9-11 a lot, but in ways that I think are oversimplified, maybe facile, that don't allow us to see how 9-11 has affected our daily lives, what's changed since then. Um, yeah, not the kind of engagement that I would have wished for, uh, but that's, that is just the me thing. Um, what do you think of all that? I mean, I have so many thoughts.
2: <laughs> um, first of all, that statement is absolutely wild. Um, this idea that it's a black hole, that we've skated over it, um, because that person is able to reference 9-11 on the radio and know that everyone will know exactly what they're speaking of, whereas, right, I feel like what has really a come out of um, particularly this past well, I suppose it's not this past summer, but the summer before, and the big, you know, Black Lives Matter movement was the incredible historical erasure, right, of other incidents such as like the Tulsa Race Massacre. Um, you know, we are always constantly like discovering these hidden stories of the ways in which, um, I suppose, minority groups or um, precarious, you know, communities have been uh, treated. In our, in our kind of like, you know, national history. Um, and, and so, you know, you say something and you go like, I've never heard of that. Nobody's gonna say like, oh, 9 And someone's like, oh, what was that? Like even the students that, you know, I am working with even though they were not alive had, we had a really interesting discussion where the things that they're aware of about that event um, were, I think very much in keeping with the narratives that were happening in the moment, right? So we see the longevity of these moments. Also, I'm sorry, there's like a massive memorial. So in New York City, so like, what. So that's just, I mean, you know, I'm sure it was just like a straw horse or a straw man for someone to kind of tilt at. Um, But yeah, I think it's really interesting about, I think uh, the first example of popular culture engaging with this kind of 9-11 narrative is the shift that they made to that spider-man movie right where they had the kind of all the new yorkers coming together in this way that emulated um the way that people reacted to 9-11 and i think you know the kind of sensitivity about like what kinds of attacks can we show on that city and that landscape in particular um like what is allowed and what is not anymore, because it is too triggering of these actual events and could be seen as being um, callous or exploitative or or whatever it is. Um, I mean, if we're really gonna dive into pop culture, right? There's really great uh, analyses of the ways in which we kind of Created these images ourselves through the destruction presented in action films, um, and I can't think of the scholar. And I feel like Lindsay, you probably should know um, who's written about this about the ways in which like we framed these like this visual culture of terrorism, and then kind of handed that over. Um, so it was really just a replication uh, of you know um, what we had been rehearsing ourselves in film um, and television and all the rest. Like you think about all of the the kinds of ways in which, I mean, I just remember, this is completely off topic, but I just remember watching like a James Bond film where they're like driving with a tank through the streets of Prague and just like smashing all the buildings. And I'm like, that is so much damage. Like, Can the municipal government manage to like fix that? Um, and nobody else seems to matter in our mind, right? Because it's the idea of like, you know, the pursuit to the ends of the good versus the evil. And I think these simplistic narratives that we've constructed ourselves, um, you know, with popular culture is what was able to prop up the simplistic narratives of us versus them. We don't negotiate with terrorists. You know, um, the the rhetoric behind the warmongering that came out of 9-11. Um, what I'm hoping that this piece does is do some of that kind of critical reflection. And it is in no way meant to be um, a glossing over or a dismissal of the actual like human loss right, and and human impact of that event on Americans and American citizens and America in general, which is a big reason why we decided to hold it not on 9-11 itself, where instead we're having, um, I believe a vigil uh, to kind of memorialize that moment, um, but on the weekend after to look at, again, this idea of like, okay, what comes next? So what the critique is, is very much around how were these kind of simplistic narratives that you're referencing able to, have such a long life, right? We talk about, there's a concept called zombie ideas, right? Which are ideas that get so firmly established that even after they're debunked firmly they still live on um, in the popular imagination in academic arguments, right? And all these kinds of things. So this zombie idea of we need to sacrifice we need to suspend civil liberties um, in order to protect ourselves lives on even in this current moment in various different iterations and I think there's a really strong connection that we're trying to make between things that are maybe a bit more lighthearted about the ongoing. um, You know protocols of TSA which are provenly ineffectual, but then also how TSA is a branch of the Homeland Security right which has the branch of ice which has the practice of caging children, right? And which is all coming out. So like, these are all interconnected things. Um, The idea of enhanced interrogation and um, extradition or extraordinary extradition, right? And black sites. I mean, we're seeing that direct parallel of being able to disappear people um, in order who are terror suspects when we look at Portland last summer and you know the, the protests there and being snatched in unmarked vans by people who are not exactly sure which government agency they belong to. So it's all these things that are still having these really tangible effects on our lives and our liberties and our, our, our rights today that are very much fueled by this kind of rhetoric of fear that has been perpetuated since that moment of
0: 9-11. Thank you for all that, yes. Okay. Um, moving away from, from the content of the piece, what was it like to get back to directing live theater? And, and this piece isn't theater per se, but, you know, live performance to be working with actual people in a space.
2: I've just been so happy, it's been such a joy to have bodies in space again, to be able to communicate. I mean, the idea of theater and performance, right, is very much about that very direct relationship between performer and audience. And it's about that shared space and that kind of communal um, experience that is just so difficult to replicate over Zoom. I mean, I think everyone can understand it, the difference between being able to see your friends and family at a divide across a screen versus being able to, um, you know, sit across a table from them, right? Um, once again safely. Uh, And, you know, I was gonna say, you know, and this idea of like human human contact, we are being we're following safety protocols, we are having distance, there's not, um, you know, touching amongst the performers. Um, And thankfully, this performance is going to be an outdoor performance. So we can, um, you know, have that added layer. But even then, I think, yeah, it's just been really, really invigorating to be back in the form that the <laughs> that it's meant to be. And working with the students um, has been really wonderful. It's a devised piece, which means that even though I started with some base concepts, a lot of the things that you will see as far as um props, costumes, movement, um, concepts that are being um you know integrated um into the, the performance pieces came from the students themselves. So that kind of collaboration um I think has really helped by having that shared space um, and being able to respond and, and catch someone else's energy and then throw it back. Um, so yeah, it's just been really such a pleasure to be, to be working in person
0: again. Okay, speaking of working in person again and getting back to live theater, what are you working on next? So I will be be directing a production called Maz
2: and Bricks by Eva O'Connor. And that will be going, um, produced by Corb Theatre in February, uh, I think February to March of next year. And it will be staged in the PSU Boiler Room here in Portland. Um, It is a a great two-hander about um, a young man and a young woman who meet by chance on the light rail in Dublin and, and, over the course of the day, get to learn more about each other and get to see each other's perspective. Um, but it is an interesting piece in this current moment because it was written um in the in Ireland it was written before the Eighth Amendment was repealed. So the Eighth Amendment in Ireland was this blank amendment that had been introduced into the Irish constitution. So it was constitutionally illegal to have an abortion um, in Ireland for under any circumstances, which of course had you know led to a lot of terrible things happening um, and and some really infamous cases that came out over the years. And it was finally repealed, I believe in 2018, um, which was nobody kind of ever thought it would happen. Um, And so so this takes place, um, the young woman Maz is going to uh, a a protest against, I'm always like a pro-choice protest basically advocating that we need to repeal the eighth, which was the campaign slogan for that. and in this moment, now it seems like, oh, is it still relevant because it has been repealed? But then we turn around and we see in our own backyard, right, the way in which um, bodily autonomy for women is, you know, still constantly under attack. I think about, you know, obviously the, the new Texas law um, very much emulating the Eighth Amendment. So it'll be interesting to see based on that how the piece lands in Portland um, in, in the spring.
0: Very timely piece to be doing right now. Justine, thank you so much for giving us some of your time and sharing your insights. Thank you so much for creating this piece for Linfield Theatre and its students and its audiences. We're so delighted that you're part of our community. Thank
2: you. It has been such a joy and a pleasure to be at Linfield.